Hello, and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, episode 30. I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me hosting is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. And joining us today for the first time in a little bit over a year, or not a first time, but returning, uh, the last time she was here was in March of 2021, uh, is Alessandra. Hello. Hi. I'm back. It's your favorite studio, Ghibli Enthusiast. <laughs> and that's perfect. <laughs> we are returning with more Studio Ghibli. Uh, we've said it before, you know, we're, we got a lot of catch up to do and we're skipping February for now. We're going to come back to it, which is more Bond stuff. But instead, we're doing some Ghibli stuff for the next two episodes. And uh, we're going through more of uh, Hayao Miyazaki's filmography along with the uh, some other directors that we'll be talking, or another director we'll be talking about next episode. But for now, we're still uh, on that Miyazaki train, or I guess in this in this case, cat bus. More more to be accurate there. Meow meow. Exactly. And we're doing <laughs> his fourth film, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, and it is, I think, compared to the last two movies we covered. Is it his fourth film? If you count Ca Castle of Cagliostro, the Lupin oh, the Third, yes, it yes, would yes, be yes. fourth, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I was like, wait, yeah, I was doing the math in my head too. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I, had, I was like, wait, it would be the yeah. So no, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, that, that's an interesting evolution going from the last two films into this one. I could see really what you guys mean when uh we went from Castle of the Sky to this, like everything from the pacing to even just like the characters in general um how toned down it was from nausicaa uh very different very different indeed um i'm so hyped to have you back on the show alessandra i can't wait oh, for you just to educate thanks. me some of this because like really like you know like i know we chose this month because i was trying to get into these movies into this whole studio thing that was the whole purpose of a studio ghibli um like month that we're focusing on and even with that, the last few, like, you know, Cameron got me the Nausicaa uh, manga for my birthday, and we got to start explore that a little bit more. Um, but this was just like, I didn't have like a reference to go off of at this point, And it was just kind of going in blind and seeing how it panned out. Um, I, I got to say, it wasn't my favorite compared to the other two. I see like a lot of it, but I want to hear, I want to like really have you educate me on some background stuff to like really like open me up to it more um but what did you guys like about the film just to start off with that i like how simple it is uh he really took the approach of um you know introducing you to japan's uh landscape and environment and um i feel like that i get a lot better of an understanding of what japan is like as a country when um i see landscapes like that that's why i like the slice of life sort of anime stuff a lot because i feel like i learned more about the culture from there but in miyazaki's film uh but in totoro you get a better idea of what life was like back in the 1950s um in just these little village areas of t of japan and um it's so quaint and it's so sweet seeing this, seeing um, this family dynamic really uh, play out in this um, in this house. Because uh, I remember it took me back, uh, gave me this nostalgic feel um, 
of just playing in my own backyard back when I lived in uh, Scotts Valley. Um, it gave me that nostalgia feeling of playing in my own backyard and enjoying the nature and hearing the birds, um, feeling the sand or dirt between my toes and just um, enjoying uh, being a kid and having my imagination kind of just roam around. And you see that a lot in the movie with May and her older sister um, just kind of run around and yell and scream and have all this uh, unstructured playtime that not a whole lot of kids get these days. Because, um, you know, there's all these safety things that, you know, you need to think about with uh, internet and, and stuff. Not not a whole lot of kids just get to go out and play and use their imaginations as wildly as um, kids got to do and as we were fortunate to have back then. Um, yeah, and uh, then you get this, you know, intent, and then, you know, in the story, as it gets into it, you get to... Um, experience the the conflict of the girls not having a mom at home and then that you know of course that stings you a bit because you forget in the film that you know the mom is in the hospital you forget completely about that because you were so enthralled by um the forest and how the dad was educating the girls uh uh, that, you know, the forest spirits live, like forest spirits live here. They take care of the forest and all that stuff. You were so enthralled in that that you completely forgot, like, oh, the girls have this conflict. They're basically growing up without a mom. And I have some background stuff on that and just, and that will, that I'll get to share with you in just a few minutes here. But I know I went, uh, I went on a kind of a rant about how, you know, how much I just love this movie. Um, like, it, it's not my, <laughs> it's not my favorite. I don't really know what my favorite Ghibli movie is, to be mm -hmm. quite honest with you, because I just don't, I'm not the type, kind of person to just have a favorite something. Um, but just learning all about the background of this movie just made me love it all the more. So... Yeah. I, I love that. Like yeah. really that whole aspect of you're right of just like going outside and enjoying like nature. Like just and that's the way I didn't really think of it that sense at all. Um I maybe I kind of overthought some of the stuff going on with it. <laughs> but like <laughs> I was really trying to like dissect it I think too much. But it, it was like uh, you're right because like I would go out with my brother and in my great grandparents backyard they kind of had like an acre of land and it kind of transformed into different areas and there was a lot of like green a lot of vines and like really weird areas and you got to climb through this garden and all that and that's exactly how that felt because you would disappear in certain spots that nobody would kind of know about except for each other and whatnot and there was the dangerous spots and then there was the like kind of nearby stuff um and then there was even like once you left their house it was like there was nobody kind of around it was a weird kind of like desolate area at that time because it was still mm. being built and mm -hmm. so it was just like i guess that's nostalgic in that sense maybe like if i would have seen this movie when i was younger and would have had that more in mind that would have made it click with me like as fast as you made it click with me just now but Cameron, what did you like about it what was your favorite part about it i'm just like very curious so yes. yeah this movie for me it's definitely not one of my upper end 
Ghibli movies, but it definitely, because it's so just real uh, in certain aspects, obviously, you know, Totoro and all them aren't necessarily in that area, but uh, it did do exactly the same thing for me uh, as it did for Alessandra. I actually took notes on it and I was like, uh, what was I saying? The Like the bush tunnel experience. I can easily say that all of a sudden hit a memory for me. And I'm like, oh, I used to go to a day camp like every summer. And then I eventually volunteered there and I worked there. And it was a very important part of my life. And uh, we used to go on hikes. We built forts. There was sports. There's all this stuff because there's an actual canyon in San Francisco called Glen Park Canyon. And it's legitimately almost feels like a weird like wildlife place within the city. And it's like, you know, we're a big urban place. But all of a sudden you go in there and there's like you could run into a coyote if you wanted to almost. Uh, there's like other things and whatnot. But uh, we went through uh, a sort of thing like that where it's like not a bush tunnel, but uh, a very like you have to crawl under tree branches and pretty much almost crawl in the mud. And you're kind of navigating through all these like bushes, branches, everything to get to uh, what we called Dead Man's Cave. And it was like a cool like rock outlet area uh, that was higher up, uh, deeper in the canyon. And I remember as a kid just like rushing through and we'd all rush through and like the counselors would be like, hang on, you know, wait for us. Like let one of us go first so you guys don't go off on your own. And we just like go through and I, growing up, it would, you know, watching the dad go through it and he's just like, hang on guys. And he's like struggling to get through and everything. <laughs> As I got older, you know, it got harder and harder and harder to yeah. go through it. And I did it every time anyway. But like, you know, when I was in my early 20s and I'm trying to do it, I'm just like, okay, hang on, hang on, guys. Like, fuck, this is <laughs> like I'm getting scratched up and everything. <laughs> um, but that and just the accuracy of portraying kids. Uh, I haven't, it's honestly very rare seeing a portrayal that well. Like, you know, there's a lot of kids shows and everything else, but they're very, they don't really show kids as kids. It's always like weird cartoon shit. And mm, uh, yeah. for this, you're like, I remember going to school and I remember one time uh, I saw my dad biking to work and all the kids were like, is that your dad? I'm like, yeah, that's my dad biking to work. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and we do that anytime anyone <laughs> would just show up new. We were like animals just seeing someone walk into the house. We're just like, what the, what the fuck is that? Like, oh yeah. shit, like we wanna we wanna see what that is. And it had uh, the curiosity of the kids in this movie, whether it was the ones at school or the main characters, that it just showed everything that mm -hmm. I already went through as a kid. And I it all of a sudden it brought all my memories back. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember doing that. I remember playing pretend, doing garden stuff and uh, just, doing stuff with sticks and imaginary things that you just make up or something. You just don't think about it. You're just like, oh yeah, this is that thing and whatnot. Or you'd go to summer camp and start telling stories of random shit just because you made it up on the spot in your head while walking from one destination to the other being like, did you know about this place? And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, it's the so-and-so goat man habitat. And you're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I made it up 20 seconds ago, but you don't know that. And <laughs> all, of, all of that shit from kids, I, I was like, oh, this is easily bringing it all back yeah and it was very mm -hmm. nice oh man to be a kid again just makes you watching a movie like that is just kind of like oh man i i wish i could be a kid again ah oh, so good yeah i think that was my favorite but definitely my favorite part where 
the two sisters. Like May, like her, her being absolutely fearless from everything. Um, and then we do see her like in fear, like once in the whole film. And that's why it's such a great impact of it. Cause she's just, no matter what's happening to her, the house is being, you know, blown apart by the wind. She's seeing these, you know, huge, crazy mystical like creatures in front of her, like everything that she goes through, she's just, just takes it in and she can roll with it. And then when you do see her in fear, you're just like, holy crap. Like you are, you are a child inside. So you forget about that until she really kind of cracks for a bit and how like, on it her sister is and just uh satsuki um her ability to like just kind of be the mom role because her mom wasn't there and take care of may so much Mm -hmm. and kind of like lead that family in a way um because her dad was clearly doing everything he could do they say they don't say what's wrong with the mom at Uh, all right i i don't think so right they don't but it's implied it's tuberculosis yeah okay yeah, that makes sense. Uh, because I don't know, Alessandra, I wasn't sure if it was one of your tidbits of like the that origin was, of the movie. That was uh, one of my tidbits. Uh, mm. I, I took some notes before <laughs> I went back back on my Blu-ray, and um, I m- took some last-minute notes before hopping on here. Um, but it was uh, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what Miyazaki said um, in one of his inter- interviews, but it was a. Uh, of the time period that a lot of his I believe it was either his childhood friends or something like that you know the family dynamic was always different because there was always someone out with tuberculosis at the hospital um wasn't it his own mom too hmm? it was his own mom too right I think what I was reading up if I, I remember correctly I think so yeah um I kind of rushed through that one because it was getting close time to record. So, <laughs> but I believe you are correct. Yeah. And it, it's crazy. Cause like one, the, I forget, like, you know, I don't think about, no one thinks about tuberculosis. You're just like, yeah. It's yeah. Like, you know? And then someone mentions it and you're like, yeah, that was that thing that they got way back when. Right. And you don't really think much of it, but you know, it, it took a lot of time for them to kind of, figure out ways to have people actually survive from it. Cause a lot of the time be like, Oh, you got tuberculosis. It was nice knowing you. And, uh, even like, I don't know if, uh, you guys know, like red dead redemption too. It's just like, that's a, yeah. a big thing there too. And you're just like, Oh, okay. You're fucking dead. You got tuberculosis. <laughs> um, but for him, I guess it makes sense. Cause he was a kid too when that happened. So it, it's funny seeing him redo everything. Mm-hmm. in this sense but instead you know choosing to have because you know the miyazaki staple of uh young female uh protagonist or supporting character in this sense so he he continues it in that in that way instead yeah. and um to kind of tie off that a little bit uh i like to co- just listening to all the background that i know about this film i like to think of it as miyazaki's love letter to japan because after thinking about it, I think he only has, he has three films based in Japan. He has this one. He has Spirited Away, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, he has The, the Wind Rises. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he only has three films uh, based in Japan. And this first one was the first, uh, My Neighbor Totoro was the first one that he uh, wrote for the first story that he wrote for Studio Ghibli that was based in Japan. And 
in all the interviews and stuff that he um, did for the Blu-ray, he mentioned uh, that in Totoro, when making Totoro, it kind of just reignited these, um, it let him relearn how beautiful uh, Japan as a country is. Just the nature, the landscape, um, even even the culture because before then he was working as an animator at i believe it was toy animation he did heidi uh, he did heidi with um takahata and he did conan and he did um one more but it was heavily western based mm-hmm. and uh nausicaa and castle in the sky they were two very fantasy films. And um, uh, after that, he, he, just, he just wanted to, he simply said, I just wanted to make one movie that was based in Japan because Japan is a beautiful country. And I learned that just now because <laughs> <laughs> I loved this part so much, but I need to, but he needed to, you know, love his own country after that. So I thought that was really cool. So I look at this as like a love letter to Japan. It's like, hey, I love you. You have beauty here. You have beauty there and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like, and you could tell he's definitely, you know, an illustrator of some sort or, you know, very artistic in that sense, because it's not like, a regular narrative that's story driven 100%. It's very much a visual experience. Mm-hmm. And like you said, slice of life, which is a different type of like, practically storytelling that we're used to like in Western culture. And I think that's what throws me for a loop so much sometimes too, is that it's so paced out. And it's so focused on just like a tidbit of, you know, what's going on at that time, it only takes place over what, like, a week, maybe? If even pretty that, much like, it's a very sh- yeah it feels like a very short period of time uh i guess compared to like well it might be longer than that because yeah. like they talk about going to school and the changing of i guess like the seasons mm. and stuff like that so it, it it's i think it's implied that it could be honestly weeks to months i'm not too sure though easily less than a year though okay yeah no that, that was something else i was just like noticing was just the way time worked in that movie and where we were being placed and progressed through. Um, and also, I guess that like, since it's not really defined, I guess I'd have to rewatch it and kind of study what's going on in the background. But I feel like it was like in, within like a pretty close period of, of time going by the plants and stuff like that, that they were seeing. And if there was going to be seasons changing and whatnot. Um, but you don't really get that too much, like that paced out of a thing. I expected more, I guess more magic to it than what we what we got, especially compared to what we saw in like Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky, where some of these uh, kind of more creative characters were just coming out throughout the entire film. The robots were very present in Castle in the Sky and stuff like that. Like that entire world was very, uh, you know, can you're kind of aware of what's going on? And this mm-hmm. one, you kind of had it was like in the shadows, which I do kind of appreciate because it was what you were saying, Alessandra, was the imagination of the kids to a certain extent, you know, and it being kind of a shadowy type of figure that would only come out when you really needed it and relied on it was made it more, I guess, mystical in that sense. Um, and you never knew if it was going to come out or when it would come out at that point. And when it did, it kind of was kind of mind blowing. Um, but yeah, that was just like a totally different 
I feel like any other film, especially nowadays, they, they'll go overboard and be bombastic with that and in your face. So seeing it really kind of just spread thin made it more memorable and made each appearance more memorable too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, um, yeah, and Miyazaki does kind of touch up on that a little bit. He says um, that he he knew going into it that this would not be like the most popular film in the world. In fact, um, Totoro was the lowest grossing movie in Ghibli history. Upon release, um, it did not do well in theaters at all. It went it went uh, straight to airing on TV and on a certain channel. Um, it took off. It did really, really well. And uh, that's why they started making all the Totoro merchandise and all that other stuff. So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, uh, the producer, he, he said, in the world before email, people had to send postcards to order their, to order their uh, you know, Totoro plushies or whatever. And he Holy said shit. that after, you know, it aired on um, this certain channel, I think they called it NTV, like like N oh, as wow. in um, uh, nope or something. <laughs> I can't think of a I can't think of a word that starts with the letter N. Um, <laughs> so on NTV, I guess it's the kids' version of MTV in Japan. I don't know. Um, but oh, when wow. it first aired there, uh, the kids fell in love with it. So they sent like so. Uh, they just got like stacks and stacks of postcards and the producer said that they had to ship out like at least three like big semi trucks worth of Totoro merch to these to these uh, kids, which was insane, um, considering how, you know, well it didn't do in the theaters. Um, but Miyazaki said that he knew it wouldn't do so well because uh, back in his day, you know, if the woman didn't have a superpower, if it wasn't in a super interesting world, if it wasn't this, if it wasn't that, um, it wasn't entertaining enough. It just wasn't. And, um, you know, it, it's like, I look at it as like, well, that's not a bad thing because the cool, because the coolest thing about Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky uh, is those universes that those take uh, place in with Nausicaa, mm -hmm. we're fortunate enough to have a manga all about it. Mm -hmm. You can read yeah. all about it. With Castle in the Sky, it's a bit more mysterious. And oh, it takes place in this industrial coal mining town, and it's a fun little story between two teenagers just ex just going on an adventure to find this castle in the sky, and that's you know. It's, it. it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um with and I think uh what you two were saying about um having this film not be your most favorite is I think uh it's is I think it's because the simplicity of it. Yeah. The thing that um and I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy Castle in the Sky and Nausicaa at all. I I also very much adore those movies as well. Um but the thing about uh, Totoro and some of the other um, Miyazaki films that I like the most is uh, just getting those little hints of um, what life is like there. Because 
the I find my best way to escape is you know to put my to put myself in another place and I think that's where that's what we all re really resort to we mm -hmm. go to a piece of media just to kind of escape from the reality that we're in right now and if we want to go to a place of peace then uh, we can either drive to our favorite nature location or we can you know just look outside and just you know take it all in um or you know you can watch a film like totoro and you can go out and and you can you know put yourself in the place of these of this family and and try to experience life there if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. No, no, totally. Okay, cool. <laughs> totally. Yeah, because looking at it, like, when you... It's kind of what made me realize what a era it was in. Like, we're watching all this happen. It's so peaceful and quaint. And I'm like, wow. I always forget, like, you know, probably the smaller the town, the more intimate everything is, the more trusting everyone is, and the more just, like, friendly people potentially are with each other. And watching go through it, they go through it, and they're like, hey, I need to go use your phone. And then you see that, like... Oh, we have to go. I don't have a phone. They don't have a phone, but they have a phone. We have to go all the way to them. And then you see the phone and I'm like, okay, I know what, like, about what decade this is that I look it up and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's the 50s. But just seeing all that and how, yeah, just how community driven it all is there. It was very interesting and how peaceful everything is. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. And it made me think, I'm like, I wonder if it's still... I doubt it's still like this now. Like, obviously, they probably have, like, fucking satellite dish t television and all that stuff. Uh, I have a little stuff on that, but keep going. Okay. Uh, but I was like, yeah, Sorry. so I'm like, I'm very... No, that's great. Uh, I was like, how, I wonder how much they modernize in those areas because it's one of those things where I, I don't think about it too often of, like, rural settings and, you know... California or American rural settings are vastly different than that of a Japanese one because Japanese ones they have like yeah the rice fields and everything else it's like very much more aquatic driven practically like the irrigation there whereas here you know like we have just those sprinklers and it's very corporate at least in the Central Valley of California where we have all of our own sustaining stuff where the, the state pretty much supplies itself more or less with everything and then I guess you get out and I don't even know what the hell happens in those other states. I know one is corn and one is dust. And then I don't know what the other are like 47 or whatever. But like, uh, it's just very different. And seeing probably, I feel like, because Japan always seems like it has a lot of traditions. Uh, I did want to know like, yeah, is it still like, would it be like that now? Or at least partially. So, so um, the thing, one of the w wonderful things that came out of uh, my neighbor Totoro was um, the environmental impact that it created on Japan. So in the 50s, uh, in the 50s, you know, they still relied on the forests to have, um, they still relied on the forests to get their fuel, right? Well, the six. Well, in the sixties, um, uh, you know, not. I don't want to say not. Probably natural uh, gas resources. Yeah, natural gas resources became more of a thing. So chemical fertilizer became a thing, and um, then the forests weren't needed anymore. Basically, so what happened was after that, the you know forests started you know getting to 
getting taken down and there were developments yeah. for land and all the other stuff. Basically, you know, basically this huge push for like, hey, we need to value the environment because of X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, all these, like all these cultural things that you value so much is based in our forests. And that's, you know, what, and, you know, I think without really knowing it, Miyazaki kind of made that a big statement. Um, so in the, uh, in the bonus features on the Blu-ray, they have, a, they have like a half an hour like snippet from uh, the uh, the scenery of um, the scenery of Ghibli. I, I keep I can't remember the name of the documentary, but uh, they have another um, they have another one on the Kiki's Delivery Service Blu-ray. They have the same. They have a also a little snippet of that. Basically, what the documentary is about is um, it takes you through all the different locations that. Um, Miyazaki was inspired to build his universes off of. So oh. this one took you through. So this one, it was like half an hour. I was so, and I was on the edge of my seat for every single minute of it because Totoro uh, brought up this, um, not only this environmental movement, but there was a trust um, that England came up with, that England came up with, and I can't remember what, I can't remember what this trust was called. Um, but from that trust, uh, I'm looking through my notes here. The, 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 this trust, um, came from England where they buy land through donations from the citizens to prevent from any future developments happening on the land. And they called it a uh, Totoro's forest and mm. Totoro's forest foundation, uh, the Totoro's forest trust, um, takes all these, uh, lands and, uh, they, uh, and they kind of barrier it out um and call it like totoro forest one two three four five and so on and so forth and i think by the time they recorded that documentary i think they had acquired like maybe 3.5 billion dollars okay yeah of money for that and i can't remember how many acreage they had but um by the time they got but it wasn't it was probably about the size of tokyo they said um so in the in you know their goal is always to just acquire more and more and more but uh along the lines of what you were saying um about how modernized it was one of the trust's goals is also to um uh save or uh not save um i can't think of the word for it preserve preserve yes is mm -hmm. to preserve a um uh, a village, a villa, uh, a way of village living called a Satoyamas, Satoyamas, and uh, those are basically farming communities in Japan that use all the forest's resources to uh, live, basically. So okay. they coexist with the environment. Um, they coexist with nature. Uh, they use their hands to gut to help guide nature. I can't remember. They put it best in the film, but this is, you know, I'm just trying to best reiterate what I just um, 
listened to and what I took notes on. And uh, the Satoyamas, um, you know, had a very had a very particular house, like the house that you saw in Totoro with the water pump and, um, you know, the baths that you saw in like the bath part of um, the house and the kitchen and the dining room and all the other stuff. They had a very particular way of living. Um, and they do have, uh, and they do have, uh, the, you know, the rice fields and, um, they have that, uh, that Sadayama. Um, they took you through one of them, uh, next to Totoro Forest 5, I believe. Mm. Uh, they took you kind of through that and, um, uh, they took you through like the rice field and the, um, and they took you through like a little bit of the house and, uh, gave you an idea of, you know, how one would cook rice using just the traditional, um, using like, just the, yeah, the traditional, traditional oven. method. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, very I didn't even realize they have a traditional, oh, that, would it be like the, those ovens that are pretty much like, almost like a, like the stone ovens? Yeah. yeah. Those stone ovens. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so, okay. That's yeah. really awesome. So, um, yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, Comron, they do have, uh, Totoro kind of had Totoro was the um, preservationist, the preservationist of the of the environmental stuff in Japan. So, well, yes, everything is a lot of stuff is modernized in Japan. Um, At least we have uh, Totoro's forests to help uh, keep that part of the culture alive and um, Edu- and uh, to help educate all those people who uh, came before us, who came before them, about how life used to be back then. Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, kind of so looking awesome. into some of that as you're talking about it too. That's so crazy how how like much that did for everything too. Um, that's insane. I love seeing the impact of like a story being able to do that too, um, especially because it's like. You know, like, the thing about Totoro is that, like, the story itself isn't, like, the craziest thing. And I think, you know, pulling back, and it is meant for kind of... It's not even meant for a younger audience in that sense, because you can still learn so much of it as an adult. But, like, you know, at the end of the story, it's it's a happy ending. You know what I mean? It's a typical, like, nothing, nothing really truly, <clears throat> like, fully progresses. Like, not every character has an arc and a change. If anything, May has, like, the biggest... The two sisters, for sure, do. But, like, the dad doesn't have... He's a very static character and whatnot. But, I mean, both sisters kind of realize something coming out of it. Um, that they didn't before, like may realize fear and like, you know, the, like how that helps her and how that bonds her to her family and, you know, what she is actually fear from. She, she learns that finally. Um, and then her sister is basically just being able to like absorb her role and also, you know, kind of realize her own like inner fear with may and her relationship with her and what she does um, to help both her dad and her. But like, it's weird how like the main story doesn't do a lot but the overall outcome of the film itself has the impact, you know, like typically it's the other way around. The story will have an impact on somebody and the story and the message is what's going to carry it through. But it's actually this film and the creation of it that did that. Like everything that goes on, like with these characters, it's not environmentally impactful. It's not like something that's going to 
kind of change someone's life in that sense to where it's going to have that much of an impact to like inspire someone because of the singular character. It was pretty much the outcome of what he did with the direction of the film, with the pacing of it, uh, how he wanted you to reflect and absorb and learn from it instead of a lesson being taught through a character. It's a lesson taught through the world of the film, which is a and very the power of a, of a fluffy troll as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, <laughs> which it, it's funny. We, we haven't even touched to that part yet either too. Is that like, I got multiple you kind of question yeah. if it's her imagination that's kind of running wild, or if it really is that traditional kind of like Japanese mindset of there are spirits in the forest and stuff like that. And I kind of get like a mixture of both you know what i mean like i could see how it's like a tale that was passed on and preserved and that's what gives it power and manifest it but at the same time it's these two young little kids having adventures with each other kind of even from the very beginning how they're kind of bouncing all over the place when they're running around and they go from one thing to another to another like they really don't stay focused on anything so them like imagining a creature out of something from nature i wouldn't even be surprised at that either yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, I have a few things. So one, I did want to check because uh, one thing I did learn is uh, I think it's called uh, just to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Uh, Tokorozawa mm-hmm. is the city it takes place in. It is also where Ghibli, uh, not Ghibli, uh, Miyazaki uh, lives. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting. And I also looked up photos. I was like, let me see this place. And I'm like, okay, I'm modernized. Yep, it's very modern. Uh, but then you can just look at like the countryside and then you see all the, what mm-hmm. you were talking about, all the preservation and everything else. And I'm like, oh, there it is. That looks mm-hmm. like, that looks like the Se- movie right there. Sayama Hills, I believe. It's in the Kanto area. Oh, okay. That's very, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really freaking cool. And seeing all that, I was very curious. I mean, that pretty much I was like, I want to know more about it. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. I got to see and I'm like, okay, so I you see the very difference of like, you know, the deeper in the city you get, the more of an actual city you get, but the, the farther out you're getting all of that beauty. Like I see the rice fields, I see the road that looks like the road they took and everything else. But uh, one thing I did want to touch on as well was Totoro himself. And mm-hmm. it's funny because you pointed out this is the least grossing of not even Miyazaki, but Ghibli movies as a whole, which is funny considering like, you know, Miyazaki is the most acclaimed director of them all. Mm -hmm. And there's other ones there and some are, you know, much less in stature, Goro included, unfortunately. But like, you know, his stuff is, you're like, wait, so how did his stuff do better than My Neighbor Totoro? Unless you're like not counting Totoro for inflation and stuff. But uh, it's just hilarious that of all the movies, this is the lowest one, but yet, when you look at the Studio Ghibli logo, you see Totoro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, uh, you know, San Francisco, we have a Japantown. I've been there recently for the Cherry Blossom Festival and the bookstore there. There's a big bookstore. Uh, bottom floor, of course, is all the manga you could ever want practically. There's even some awesome fucking Godzilla shit. And upstairs is all the regular novels and everything else. But in a corner of the store, and not a small little like, oh, it's in a little very small corner. I mean, like a full section cornered off is the Ghibli section upstairs. And they have everything there from the movies, books, uh, all these plushies, everything else. And you look through it all and there's stuff from all the different movies. But the most populous thing is Totoro plushies. And 
like not just the main one, you know, the, the middle one too. So they have like kind of all the different versions of them and everything else. So it's just and I very, want, I want them all. <laughs> yeah. There, there's so many, it's crazy. And I'm just shocked. And, you know, I can almost guarantee they are, uh, I don't know. I forget who's building it, which company and which, uh, park it's going to be at, or if it's its own, it's completely its own thing. But there is a Ghibli park being built in Japan, like it's an amusement park, like Disneyland. Yeah. Ghibli Disneyland. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. right. I know and there's a Ghibli museum, but I didn't know they were making a Ghibli theme park. Yeah. And I'm imagining the 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 mascot will probably be Totoro. Ghibli, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Ghibli. <laughs> I just want to. No, I want to have a friend that's named as just Ghibli. Whoops. Um, we yeah, should no, just have a friend named Ghibli. I, I would really like that. Someone needs to create yeah. a friend named Ghibli. That would be great. I'll, or we I'll, just. I'll just get another cat and just name him Ghibli. That works too. Or yeah. we yeah. we we make someone lose a bet and they legally have to change their name to Ghibli. I also uh, like that idea too. <laughs> I can name one person. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, you know. Uh, it's it's very interesting that that's how much of an impact that just the design of a creature had on everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's I almost want to say it's almost like Japan's Mickey Mouse kind of, but in a much more heartfelt way oh that has gosh. done more good than potential yeah. corporate green. I didn't even realize. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I think nice. that's what, like, prepped me up thinking this was going to be a much more... Uh, a very different approach to a movie. You know what I mean? Like I, I was expecting a lot because of that. Like we, once I was looking into everything and I noticed the logo and I've seen how popular it is. I've seen these plushies before. I've seen people, you know, post about uh, Totoro before and everything like, and I thought he'd have such a larger role in this film. And it's really so minor compared to anyone yeah. else. Yeah. You know? So a little and, fun fact about that. Sorry. Uh, the, um, and one of the uh, interviews on the um, Blu-ray was with the producer and he and Miyazaki actually wanted to introduce Totoro at the beginning of the film. And the producer was uh, just jokingly said, uh, oh, why, no, what, uh, why, why do you want to do that? You, you know E.T., right? E.T. doesn't show up until like halfway in the movie. And then, of course, he's <laughs> yeah. And, then, and you know, Miyazaki was like, "Yeah, no, never mind. I like that more. Let's show them up like halfway through." Like, and it kind of makes a bigger impact because yeah. you the way it, it's set up. I think it's better that way that it didn't show up till later because you get the established world, and then you get your you're kind of you know you're introduced there then you're put into the new house you're introduced to these new characters and you already know that this world is already kind of on the verge of something like super you know magical yeah supernatural uh supernatural magical because of like the little fuzzy things you know that's right first they supernatural yeah there's and i think that's like the right way you're supposed to introduce a creature like that Mm -hmm. is subtly you know, it's it's these little black fur balls that you, they look like rodents and you feel like, oh, it's a rodent and something like that. And you find out that they are a magical creature. And therefore, like you've set the rules for this universe and they did a great job of setting that up for us to believe that this could be like an actual spirit that does this. Like, like the dad says, it only comes when, you know, it wants you to know that it's around. And 
uh, I mean, just that in itself is just like a better way to do it than putting it in front of your face. And like I said before, I think every scene that you saw Totoro in, it was that much more compelling and you're that more curious about what else he can do and what else was going on with him. Uh, like almost you'd want like, I mean, I really wish there was a book that like tied into it that could like go into more depth about everything. And you know, it's funny you say that because Miyazaki going into this movie about 15 years before it, he was in the animation industry, um, you know, working on uh, those uh, series that I mentioned earlier, Heidi. Um, he was thinking, I may want to do something else. And he wasn't thinking of doing anything in animation. So he started doing these mock-up drawings of Totoro for a children's book instead. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, 15 years later, he was, uh, you know, he didn't even think of, you know, turning it into a film, but he did. I bet, like, he was just working in his, and, like, some papers flew out of his shelf and it landed on his desk and he's just like, I remember you. I have an idea. And then yep. all of a sudden, that fucking Totoro was made. Probably. And yeah, honestly. That makes sense. When you look at the layout of the land and the scope of the scenery, like when I think of a children's book, I do think of like an oversized, like elongated book that, you know, you're going to open wide and you're going to have a stretch. You know what I mean? It's a bit larger than your standard book by, or even comic or any of that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and seeing the landscape on a children's book, I think would be perfect. Mm -hmm. I think that you would need that scale of a longer front end and back end to like really and the size of Dororo and like looking at the comparison to his other little gang that he hangs out with like his little family or friends I'm not even too sure um but they were just cohorts. so yeah <laughs> cohorts yeah they're just it would fit so well in that and even when you look at the pacing of the movie how slow it was that would work from a page by page kind of that feeling you're trying to emote through a children's book, you know, kind of dragging it through and kind of just like leading you to this next beautiful scenery and somewhere else and somewhere else. Like, it's not like a novel or a comic where it's very compact and like right there and in your face and page turning. It's kind of a slow burn no matter what. And it's visually compelling more than anything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And uh, tying off of that, I just imagined that, um, that scene where they're trying to force grow the sprouts, the, Whoop, oh my god yeah whoop. yeah i can totally see that um and like little block letters and you know a parent you know softly saying and then they grew and then they made it grow whoosh 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 or something like that and then it ends yeah. with the you know the little three totoros with their little whistles and the two little girls next to next to them and they're like doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. yeah i see I can imagine so cool. a pop-up almost like the literally yes. like making the thing go up when they're like bringing their hands up and stuff easily, yeah. easily. Maybe in the museum they have a little book, like a little pop-up book like that. But you oh, know, cool. I have it's never really been cool. to the museum, to but that, that is on my bucket list. Yeah, Japan is a lot of things that you. Could, it's just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Japan is a lot. Yeah, it's so much. It's amazing. Yeah. It's definitely so, a multi-trip place easily. Like, Kamran and I, what we've been doing with, like, this whole season of Sutra Side Watch is what we what we kind of do is, like, set up the armature for the movie that we're watching. And the <clears throat> armature is similar to your theme. 
And so I was kind of curious of like how you would encompass it. And then, you know, Kamran and I can go first so you can kind of get an understanding of it. But like basically what an armature is, is like when they would make horror masks and creatures back in the 70s, the frame of it is called the armature. So when like parts of it are falling off during filming or, you know, reconstruction or whatever, they have the armature as the base. Like that's what they keep on coming back to, um, to you know so that the creature can take shape so with a story the armature is basically the message that's trying to go through that no matter what this is what they're trying to say in every scene and that's this is the point of the movie um so like for example for my neighbor totoro like the armature to me was that you can find like everything you need through nature and you can find everything you need through um just like patience and like understanding you know but through nature is like the main aspect of it because of where they lived and how they worked through the land and how they were able to survive and where these creatures came from um that kind of encompassed everything to me and i felt like that was the point with the landscapes he brought in i thought that was the point with the direction of the world that he was choosing that time period and not something you know this was what in 88 or something like that 87 somewhere around there like he didn't choose something more modern than um you know the 50s you know like early 50s at that yeah. What was the year that it came out? 1988. 1988. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cameron, did you? Uh, what did you think about the armature in that sense? I would agree in that. I would also say another, I guess, alternative would be uh, using your imagination, uh, mm-hmm. having it guide you and not necessarily use it to escape, but use it to grow and move forward with everything else is... Um, one thing I've noticed throughout the movie was a lot of the things like, you know, obviously kids always have an active imagination, whether it's out of, you know, maybe I'm bored and the imagination now creates something to do, something to believe. Uh, and, or in this case, your mother is in the hospital as tuberculosis and you need an escape. And in the fifties, there is no TV, there's no phones, there's no, any of that shit we got now that's so easy and if anything sometimes a little too distracting uh Mm -hmm. when you don't even need an escape uh they created their own coping mechanisms which was you know utilizing totoro utilizing uh little sprites and everything else and you know one could say they were real and everything else but you know you see the father he plays along with it where he's like i want them to like i don't want to take it away from them so he's like yeah i can't see them but it's for this reason I can't see them, but you guys can, but you can only see them during these certain times. So now it's perfectly playing in with their imagination where it's like, oh my God, that's exactly how it happens with me. How did you know? And all the times they're in trouble, whether it's May missing and uh, Satsuki has to find her and everything else. And Totoro helps her kind of using her imagination, kind of find where she is. And I mean, I guess you could say like, you know, it was magic and everything else, but also at the same time, if you didn't want to look at it that way, you could say like she used her imagination and that coping style to help her like basically complete her complete her goal for the story and all that jazz. So I guess imagination is probably the armature for me. Well, so what could you? I know you're on the spot right now too. <laughs> Something that we've thought about a lot, but like what? What basically? What was the main thing that it meant to you at that point? Oh boy, Comron uh, kind of hit the hit hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah, the the imagination part of it was a was a big deal. But I feel I also feel uh, like the sense of community was a big 
was a big theme in there. Everyone had each other's back. Um, yeah. Uh, you, they were always with someone. They were, and they always felt valued and loved by someone. Um, Granny, who was, who started off as a complete stranger, you know, she was so good with the, with the kids before, uh, like the moment she met them and she, she's like, oh, but you can call me granny. Everyone calls me granny here or something like that. Um, and then you get this boy who is like, oh, girls, oh, gross. And, you know, yeah. they, you know, he eventually befriends the two and, um, he befriends, uh, uh, I, I always want to say, I always want to say Satsuke, but it's definitely not Satsuke. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to call her the incorrect name. Yeah, Satsuki, but I always feel like Satsuki is, I always feel like I'm saying it wrong. I, yeah. I'm like, I, I say Satsuki and I'm like, I feel like it's yeah. not probably Satsuki, but you know, yeah, but I, I can't, yeah, I can't, I don't, I don't get that. Why, I can't do the fucking language. I don't know why I always think, oh, Satsuke. And I'm like, that is not correct. That is a name of a Naruto character. <laughs> not naruto um <laughs> sorry about that um yeah uh, the older sister i'll just keep referring to her as the older sister because i'm <laughs> yeah, so i'm yeah. so and afraid her little her wrong. little sister her little sister naruto. <laughs> yes <laughs> i gotta find my sister she's missing Help she's me. missing Oh my goodness. Help me, Ninja Clan. Um, yeah. yeah, but the sense of community just feels really strong in there. Everyone, it, there's such a big family vibe, and you get this, and you definitely get that feeling when May goes missing. All these strangers who, you know, they're probably familiar with May, but they're not like best friends with May, like Granny is or something like that. They're all at that lake, uh, trying to, like, you know, poking at the water making sure that, you know, it wasn't May who drowned or something like that, or, you know, May didn't even go, May didn't get like close to the water or something like that. They got the sandal out and you see the granny um, praying over that, sh over that sandal. And um, you definitely feel that value. And that's something in farming communities that you, you forget that you forget how big of a deal that is because in farming it's such a big um it, it's like one big large conglomerate and it's usually family owned so yeah. that sense of uh community is is real is uh is real valuable and i feel like they also capitalize on that definitely I, yeah definitely yeah i did love to and it's like oh yeah that's not her shoe yo granny you're crazy <laughs> like she's always making stuff up well you know she i feel like she had every right though because even you forget what you know what maze oh no yeah i was just cracking up like. that they they say like oh she always does something like this oh, I'm like, what does that mean right. like what what else happens oh, like, yeah granny overreacting guys yeah, that's like What's, what was the first time if this isn't it? <laughs> like, shit, dude. Um, but then, you know, as soon as that happens, they're like, but, you know, we still need to find May. May is still missing. So, like, our job isn't done yet. So Yeah, that, that was cute. That was actually a really good line for them to continue on and, like, point out, make an emphasis on. I think that's one thing I thought was funny was uh, when, you know, 
they're like, oh, let's go to the hospital now, and they do, and which was actually that is kind of crazy. You're like, wait, where did this corn come from in the window yeah. and the carvings on it? And you're just like, gee, okay. But uh, you know, they come back and they see Granny and stuff. But before that, you're just like, you know, those people are still searching. <laughs> they never yeah, yeah, for searching. real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, those are like that's like one of those like movie flubs that you just kind of tend to forget about. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if it were staged like a play, I don't think, you know, I think that would have been more like relevant because you just you you do see the older sister just kind of run off into the forest. And, you know, Granny's like, oh, my gosh, where are you going? And, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't really address it until they come back. And Granny was like, oh, my gosh, I thought we lost you. Yeah, I, I love two shoes. Like, you know, these these uh, sandals will ring me down and just like tosses them off and just like yeah. goes full like fucking savage run. I was like, God damn. All right. Keep going, kid. I forgot y'all got that much energy at that age. It yep. must, must be nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, too, like going back to the characters themselves. Uh, one thing I did notice besides, you know, all the childhood stuff was uh, the relationship between the sisters where May is heavily imprinting on satsuki because like you see satsuki do something and it may kind of just copies it yes uh, for the most part just like mm-hmm. any sibling would in that kind of relationship and, and any you know being a teacher i see that happen all the time uh especially with you know my kindergartners anytime they anytime one kid says something like oh my dad um i'm just gonna use the my dad is better than your dad kind of example like my dad is better than your dad and they're like oh well no my dad is better than your dad or something like that or you know just something so simple as like um man i'm trying to think of a recent example some a couple of them are kind of morbid that i had to report on so it's <laughs> what? what yeah no no no, no. my it's... dad's murdered more than your dad uh, what? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Not, not, not quite that. Oh, I can't. Okay, I remember one example. We were talking about uh, strange dreams that we that we had because I just shared mine, like a strange dream that I had with with one of my kids, and um, and they were saying um, and you know some of the like one of them you know legit had a strange dream, and then it was just this chain reaction of like more bizarre like i hardly believe you even dreamed that kind of thing because it sounded so similar to this one person's dream that they had and you know had like fireworks and then after that just it trying was to like, top each other yeah they were trying to top story. each other's uh dreams it oh, was man. like my dream was weirder than your dream and you know that kind of thing but that's that was a long-winded example of what you were <laughs> <laughs> saying come on sorry about that no you're good <laughs> Yeah, but, dreams you know, it's still dreams, a relevant children thing that kids do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. I do like that, you know, there's certain things even, no matter how far we have advanced, uh, there's still certain tendencies kids will always have, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, too, is I guess, like, kind of looking at their parents really fast. The, the father, you know, he's an archaeology professor, which I thought was very interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, no way, dude. But, uh he really does support them uh in terms of just like anything they say he's like oh that makes sense and also hey let me help you expand it and yeah not only that like you know you know he's like always busy and everything else but it's fun just seeing like an actual family relationship where he's being like oh you know it's 
the wind is howling and everything else here let me howl at the like let me laugh it off i'm gonna do a giant laugh and it's like su super just random and you're like why is he laughing and he's like trust me laugh and you'll feel better and they both start doing it and they you know next thing you know they're not afraid anymore mm -hmm. uh, i thought that was really good yeah i remember showing this film to one of my guy friends and um he said he said, uh, I, I love this dad. I want to be this dad for my kids when I have kids one day. Like, this is the dad I want to look up to. I'm like, that's that's good. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's quite no, admirable, like, honestly. Yeah. Ev yeah, Everything falling apart around him. You know, your wife's in the hospital. You're taking care of the two girls. You have a new home. Like, you're figuring out work and, you know, uh, the commute and all that. And he just had his shit together, um, which is something definitely admirable and something that you would definitely want to you know, be if you're in that position because it's mm -hmm. a tough spot to be in and no matter what. And this was kind of one of those things, a teaching moment of just like he was so focused on his girls and trying to make them, you know, continue life, you know, live life, find their, what Cameron was saying, their coping mechanism, which was their imagination and utilizing their bond with each other and trying to help them overcome everything that was happening because things could be getting a lot scarier. And this was just like the start of it all in a big way for them. And like, you know, in, in the story itself, like things could, you don't know, really know what's happening with the mom and you don't know what does happen. Um, and these are still young kids. So like teaching them this while they're young at that age was like, he was priming them up to tackle on life no matter what. He was priming them up to like be able to find a way um, to just accept what happens in the world from nature, you know, the bad winds from like the real life stuff with their mom from like, you know, depending on themselves um, to interacting with neighbors and being able to like trust them and everything like this dad was prepping them for anything that can happen um, no matter what the result might have been at that point. And, you know, it's kind of like weird to like even talk about it in that sense, because that movie is so lighthearted and ends on such a happy note. But even then that happy note, you know, that's not like, that's like a moment, you know, this, mm -hmm. and like, I, you know, I, I want to really explore that timeline because it's really just so short-sighted on how much time it collapses, um, goes by in the movie. And then it's kind of like, if you're prepping them for this, like, you don't know what's going to happen a month once we finish this or a year from then, um, what happens to the girls and their mom, um, or even their dad at that point and how much harder things can go for them. This mm -hmm. was like a difficult, but very positive point in their you know the little you know slice of life that we saw from them yeah. um but i mean just to like close it out like what are what are your some of your final thoughts uh over what's your overviewing final thoughts on the film alessandra um uh, i i guess uh one more th one more thought about the dad real quick hmm, one yeah. person um i read this on facebook from one of uh the people i went to church with a little while back he um was making a comment about uh turning red and how the re how it was very heavily based on the relationship between a mother and a daughter and he shared his opinion about um that uh how there's a lot of movies that have you know a single mother role or you know, just those basic, like, relationship between a mother and a son or a mother and a daughter, that kind of stuff. It's really refreshing to see a movie, that there is a movie out there that you see a dad taking the I'll raise the kid mode. Yeah. 
And I really, honestly, I can't think of another film like that. I can't. I can't think of a family dynamic film where there's just a father who's taking charge with raising uh, a kid, raising a kid during, raising kids, plural, during a heavily, during a heavy transitional life moment for them. Um, And even though, yes, the girls still do have a mom, you don't see the mom almost Mm -hmm. at all. I think you see her in like a total of three scenes, maybe in the film. Um, You see the dad a lot more and his role with that. So I thought that was, so I was just thinking about that um, when I watched that and I was just thinking, oh, no, there, there is a film like this. There's not a whole lot of films like this, but there's, there's one and it's Totoro. You can refer to that every time, every time that you need to. You're totally right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's. The only one I can think of is Kramer versus Kramer because that's that's like the ultimate. But that's with one child, too. I mean, of course, it's like a live action movie. It's a bit more doable in that sense. But like, you know, you guys should watch Kramer versus Kramer. That movie's fucking phenomenal. And if you want to cry, um, that, I, I have not seen movie. it, but it is so good. Uh, <laughs> okay, but that's cool. like that was honestly the one movie that I was like, where is there another film like this where the dad is taking charge and, you know, having to clean up this mess? And it is way, way more grounded in the sense of like the mom walks out on the kid on the family and she leaves the dad um, and the son. And essentially, she just tries to figure out her own shit that's going on with her while the dad has to figure out how to balance his job and also raise the kid at the same time. And there's some cool cinematic stuff in there, especially like there's a just to sidetrack a little bit to emphasize that point. But like there's a scene where when the mom leaves, they have to figure out breakfast. Mm -hmm. And when the first time they uh, figure out breakfast, the dad's just totally lost. The kid's like, well, mom makes French toast every day. And the dad's trying to, you know, put together French toast. He doesn't know how to make it. It's crap. The next time breakfast is just like, it's just as bad. But then you see him again and it's breakfast. It's a bit nicer, but it's not really breakfast. It's like a banana and a donut, but they're sitting at the (laughs) table now. And they're like, you know, eating together, just like drinking like, you know, like whatever coffee or orange juice. And then the next time you see him, they're like making breakfast together and they're in the kitchen and, you know, working together a bit more. And by the end of the film, they make breakfast perfectly. They're making French toast and it's coming out and they're sitting down and enjoying it. Like that evolution and that struggle that happens with the father and son dynamic or father and child dynamic. That's the only other movie I've ever really that comes to mind that it's like well done, you know? And of course that's, you kind of see the struggles a bit more. The dad here had his shit together that entire movie and really didn't stress. Um, but to like really introduce you to that struggle, this is a very great first step in that mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah my my brain literally starts siphoning through every single animated movie I've seen practically, and I only came up with Beauty and the Beast, which her father's old. Yes, uh, Bambi, <laughs> if you can count that, because Mama got hunted, so Dad's like, "Come oh, with me, yeah. boy." And oh, then, uh, that's right. Um, what was the other one I had in my head? Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, shame on me. Now all of us are thinking of all the... <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden they're all servicing up and you're they're just like, bu- oh, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but there's, like, there's not really much, though, honestly. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. Except that handful. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, literally, like, a handful. Hey, listeners, comment down below with movies that you can think of with a strong uh, father role. 
father. Yeah, for real. Send us emails at sutrasidetalk at gmail.com. Let us know what you you got there. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say too, like actually thinking, I mean, the whole thing with a lot of animated movies, but also just society usually, everything's very much uh, in terms of relationship with the child. It's very matriarchal. Uh, It's very much mother heavy, whether, you know, even in other things, you know, you see like, hey, mom went out for the day and then she comes home and the kids are like, mom, mom. And the dad's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) God, thank you. And it's like all this stuff like that's usually how it's always portrayed in everything from probably sitcoms to animated stuff to everything. So it is like interesting, especially, you know, you know, things been shifting a lot more because, you know, way back when, if you looked at the 50s American household, you're like, yeah, Papa goes to work, mother's in the kitchen, the kids are kids. And it's like, oh, boy. And, you know, obviously things have evolved a lot more now where things are different. Roles are reversed or both parents work and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And things are just shared differently. Um, so it is funny that we still haven't really gotten too much. I mean, at least with Disney, you know, they're equally making sure all the people are orphans usually. So there's that. <laughs> they make sure to kill your parents. Uh, but like, yeah. uh, you know, everything else is, yeah, either two parents, no parents or a mother. It's usually how it goes. And that's why I kind of enjoyed stuff like this a bit more because like that was my me and my dad. It was always just us growing up. You know, I never had a mom or anything. So like she walked out on us when I was like two and seeing a movie like this it feels so much more real to me because it finally gives you that dynamic it finally like showcases that there are good you know fathers out there that can raise their children and everything and it was just something that's so looked over um especially with children's films you know it's always that mom dynamic or something um and it's just rare so it's kind of cool that you pointed that out that was a very like like very on it part of the film, um, especially, you know, with his use of not only like what you're saying with just female main characters, um, but like bringing the dad in as well, like very unique things that like for some reason just don't make a lot of mainstream, you know, stories, mm-hmm. which is odd because it really is more true than uh, other instances in some cases. Yeah. Definitely. But now it's a close off. <laughs> um i i really enjoy i really enjoy the film uh you know totoro it was not a film that i particularly enjoyed i i think this was my third time watching it it was my second okay uh so but i definitely enjoyed it a lot more this time around because um I even read uh, the booklet going into it, and it just made the it made the film so cool. all the more special. Uh, I'm not sure if um, because I shared it with uh, Kamran and Brandon uh, before uh, before coming on the podcast. Uh, but basically, um, in the booklet of the Blu-ray, it talks about uh, Western eff- uh, affectations. And uh, how, you know, we have the <laughs> we have the equivalent of weeaboos here in America. Well, there is also the there's the equivalent of um, uh, people who want to, you know, live a more Western lifestyle in Japan as well. And uh, something really interesting that they pointed out here that I think we're going to talk about more when we watch Grave of the Fireflies and talk about that more. Um, uh, the part where it says, um, 
uh, recently someone said something that made an impact on me. It's good that Japan lost the war. If Japan mm, won, I saw that, it would yeah. have become a really awful country. And he really, I've, and uh, it go, and prior to that, it talked about how uh, it was very of its time that Miyazaki and Takahata both just, uh, they capitalized more on Western stuff because they wanted to es escape to that Western culture a bit more. So after, so, uh, uh, after they wanted to both do uh, something different and make films both set in Japan with Japanese main characters, Miyazaki said, I owe Japan, so I want to repay that loan. So I'm That's like, cool. how strong and beautiful is that? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this only makes me a little bit, this breaks my heart a little bit because uh, I almost wanted to request that we that we watch Totoro after Grave of the Fireflies. To be happier. It is yeah. Such a bummer of a movie. Um, oh really, really good, but such a bummer. And you were talking about like this strong family. You ha Have you seen Grave of the Fireflies, Brandon? I haven't either, so it's going to be a good time. Everyone literally says, get ready to cry. Uh, literally, yeah, that's, that's what I always hear. Every uh -huh. little like, meta description that pops up under when you Google it, you're just like, oh, crap. Uh -huh. This is, is going to so, be a night where I have Brandon, I'm going to ask you this. Do you cry in movies? Fuck yeah, I cry during movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you're definitely going to cry during movies. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're definitely going to cry. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, Brace myself. Just, yeah, it's a it's a hard watch, but it's really really good. Um, nice. And I can't believe I'm about to endure it for a second time because the first time I watched it, I had to stop it like three or four times just to recompose oh myself. My oh boy, because there is be fun. there is uh, just when you think that there's a little bit of hope for these two children, shit hits the fan again. I feel like it's gonna be a test where we're we'll come we're gonna come back next week when we record it and. One of us, what if one of us are like, oh, I didn't cry, and it's like there's something might be wrong with you where you uh -huh. actually yeah. might be evil inside. I'm not too sure, or just we'll count. I'll count how many times I cry. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I think the last thing for me was probably Demon Slayer during the Mugen Train movie, and Alessandro, you know why? So I'm like, oh. if I if that got me, who knows how this will go? So you know, yeah, that'll be nice. a, a thing. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be a fun time. But yeah, yeah, after this fun family dynamic talk that we've just had, uh, yeah, that's all going to come tumbling down to the ground once you watch Grave of the Fireflies. I'm just going to let you all experience that for yourself. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like you want to do a third Ghibli movie after this one, just right? to do yeah. like, uh, just to clean up and be like, I wanted to feel better after and shit. <laughs> We, yes. we might have to. You, we uh, do, you know, maybe you know. we would. Maybe we would. Alessandro, I don't know if you'd be down. We'd just do another Miyazaki. Be like, all right, just fuck it. Another Miyazaki. Let's go. Of course go. I'm down. I'm down to talk about Ghibli all day. He's got day, a lot of man. movies, so there's a lot to go. You know, we'll see. Hi. We'll see what happens. What came we'll out after Totoro? Kiki? I might have been. I think it was Kiki. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, Kiki. It was Kiki. Yeah. 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 So it'd be which time? Oh, my God. I don't know. I'll start down. You weren't there. Oh, no. This is at SCAD when we did it. When we were at school, we watched Kiki and. I took the liberty of voicing over one a couple of the characters, and it had the entire room dying. Uh, I will just say it was the elderly witches, and what I said in place of what they said was pretty fucking good. But if oh we, we if we do that episode, I'll I'll talk about it. But uh, 
We'll discuss it more. We'll see yeah, we'll discuss it more. Not, we'll see how emotional. I realized I'm really good at being a witch woman. Um, let's just say that. So, yeah. All right. I'm so excited. But that is uh, all the time we have for today. Alessandra, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. A A11 Bear. Allie Bear. Um, 11 is my lucky number. And A-L-L-E is the first four letters of my name so a11e bear you can find me on the twitter um and you can also find me on instagram a harms 11 my account is locked but i'll make sure that it is unlocked by the time because <laughs> i have a lot of creepers creeping up on my insta so that's why i locked it but um mainly mainly the sugar daddies are like hey oh baby. my yeah oh my and i'm just like dude i'm already making my bank i i have a job so i'm fine um <laughs> anyways not that i would have one anyway <laughs> <laughs> not that it was on the table just i love the response of just like listen if there was a different situation you know maybe i would take you up on this <laughs> it's great you all heard me honk the internet just heard me honk on the internet um a harms 11 is where you can find me on instagram we'll also have the we'll have them in the show notes as well where you can find as well so we'll have those listed there awesome Uh, brandon where can people find you man check out apollo city comics on all podcast platforms and on youtube we just did a couple little short videos too um just like some bonus content here it's like rants a little bit and uh, we have a lot of stuff coming your way a lot of cool things um and then a lot coming back for sidewatch as well yes yes very excited about and you could follow me at gogocomzilla on twitter and killashoosh on instagram uh this week, if you want to go back, uh, we had a Sutra Side Talk episode come out where we talked Doctor Strange 2 and Moon Knight. And later on this week, we have our big return of Up to It, Down to It, where we talk about surgeries, injuries, and other experiences. And it's a fucking ride. Once again, just uh, off the rails, unfiltered, insane shit that we usually do. Uh, Roman Ty and Miles have all returned for it. And uh, next week, yeah, we'll have the second Ghibli episode with grave of the fireflies and uh more to come as we catch up uh, and also i almost forgot our 150th side talk episode is next week too and we'll be uh we'll be hitting horizon to uh forbidden west as our uh feature for that so that's gonna be a good time uh but yeah we fucking Nerds. hit that mark uh but Yippee. yeah congrats Thank you. Yeah, very much. super congrats. I, I literally forgot. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. But uh yeah, until uh until next time, guys. See yes. you later. See you Thanks on Insta. Hanging.